Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Well-Managed Hive. I'm your host, Lewis Cobble. I'm an apiary inspector with the North Carolina Department of Agriculture. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4. Uh, I got a real humdinger for you today. Uh, my guest today is uh, Jim Masucci. He wrote an article for the American Bee Journal, the December 2019 American Bee Journal, entitled Managing Varroa Mites, Lesson Lessons learned from large-scale honeybee field trials. And uh, so we're going to do a deep dive uh, into that article. If you're a a journal subscriber, it might be nice to uh, grab that issue. We're going to be talking about a figure or two. And so it might be handy to have that if you you are a subscriber. But if you're not, you'll do fine anyway. So I hope you enjoy it. Jim Masucci is a molecular biologist who has found a way to combine his day job with his hobby. He has been with Monsanto Bayer for 22 years, where he has worked in biotechnology, regulatory, and chemistry. He manages about 100 colonies of his own, and he has a sideline business selling bees and honey. Being both a beekeeper and a bee researcher gives him the perspective of understanding what's important scientifically, as well as what's meaningful to the beekeeper. In 2014, he joined the Bee Health team to run a field trial program with the aim of developing a novel varroa control biological product. Since 2016, he has been running some of the largest honeybee field trials ever performed to evaluate how their product compares with what is commercially available on the market. This has given him the opportunity to work with some of the top commercial beekeepers in the U.S. and Canada and to evaluate large data sets under different management systems. In the process, he has learned a lot about how the tested product works in the hives, but also a lot about beekeeping and mite management in general. My guest today is Jim Masucci. Thank you, Jim, uh, for for joining me today. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Lewis. It should be fun. (laughs) I'm thrilled to death, man. Your uh, your article in the December 2019 uh, American Bee Journal uh, entitled Managing Rural Mites, Lessons Learned from Large-Scale Honeybee Field Trials, uh, was, I thought, just so perfect. And as a apiary inspector, uh, the, the points that you hit in your article, those are the points that I'm trying to get uh, to uh, the beekeepers to help them understand how important monitoring is and, and, uh, and all the aspects um, of Varroa. And you did such a such a good job in your article. So thank you for doing that work. And so I want to spend a lot, you know, most of our time today talking about that. So uh, give us kind of a snapshot of the study. Like, you know, how big was it? How did it shape up? What were your real goals? You know, that just give us, tell us about the study. Yeah. So, so before it started, um, this actually started in Israel with, with a, a, a company called Biologics that was trying to develop uh, a product against viruses. And, and Monsanto bought them uh, in 2012. They switched the focus from viruses to varroa. And they had some small-scale data that worked, and we really needed to test it hard, determine if it really worked and, and you know, if it really would be a product. So our strategy was was to go national, right? What are the most what are the key areas in in 
the country where, where beekeeping is big. Mm-hmm. And, and we wanted to test this under real life conditions. So, mm-hmm. so we went to the periphery of the U.S., right? California, the Dakotas, Texas, you know, where, where, where most of the commercial beekeeping happens. And we partnered with commercial beekeepers so that we had them manage their hives. They know how to manage the hives in their area. And they manage their hives for everything but mite treatments. Right. And so we had 11 locations, 10 different beekeepers. Um, and we would have, for each of the treatments, we would have 40 colonies. All right. So that's 440 colonies per treatment that we were testing. We had, we had six treatments in the trial. So it was, you know, over 2,500 hives. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for, for, for this conversation, we'll take, we'll take our treatment that we're trying to develop out of the picture. Right. We had, we wanted to compare to the untreated control, which we did before to see if we're doing anything, but then we really wanted to test against the commercial standard. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so some, if we can't compete with that, the idea was we really didn't have a product. So we used Apovar, uh, um, according to the label. And, and so what that allowed me to do was just compare treated versus untreated hives throughout the year and, 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 and do that with a huge data set. So the trial went for 22 weeks. I think we had 11, 10, 11 assessments throughout those 22 weeks. The first eight weeks, had apovar strips in the treated hives, and the untreated hives didn't didn't receive any treatment. And that's all we did. We we looked at at, at mite counts. We looked at at various colony health parameters. Uh, you know, we had frames of bees, frames of brood. We had um, you know evidence of disease, queen rightness. You know, all all the typical right. things you're going to look at. Food stores. Food stores. With that, of, yeah. Assess food well, stores and. The food stores, we, we actually really didn't because the beekeepers were supposed to manage, so they weren't ah, yes. going hungry. Right. Right. So, so feeding was allowed. Um, right. So, so um, we didn't. We actually didn't look at, at food stores. Good. But yeah. So, so that's that's what the trial was. And I think it's uh, it's important that you looked at so many colonies. I, we talked about this in another episode. There's so much variability in a colony of bees or in a, you know, in different colonies of bees that you really have to do a lot of uh, repetitions to start to see these trends. And uh, so having a lot of uh, colonies in your study is important. It's a lot of work, but it yeah, is important. absolutely. <laughs> People ask me all the time, um, it's like, why are our trials so big? And, and, and the variability that, that we we saw was was amazing. That, and it, it was another aha moment. I had a lot of aha moments uh, <laughs> evaluating this data. It's like holy cow. Um, and 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 one of my my favorite graphs when I when I talk about this, uh, it, it's pretty complicated. But it was a yard of of like apovar uh-huh. treated yard of forty colonies. And I have the starting, the starting mite counts, which ranged from like zero to ten mites per hundred, right? Mm-hmm. And then after, 
to eight weeks. And most of the colonies work just fine, all right? You, you see it go from 10 down to one or less than one. And, and, and that's exactly what you want to see. But there's a few that remain constant, and there are a few more that actually increased. The mite counts increased while the Abelbar strips were on. And, and, and that, that's all happening side by side in colonies in the same yard. Right. Is this, is this figure five in the journal article, or is that a, is that a different yard that it's in the journal article? Oh, so, so that was a different yard than in the journal article. Yeah, um, but it but, has but, very similar, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same situation. And I think we'll, I would definitely want to talk about that uh, yeah, as we get into it, this. But it's really interesting to look at that diagram. Absolutely. <laughs> it, 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 the, it's a common theme. Right. I, I think I think it's it's one people expect that they do something that every colony is going to react the same. Right. And and it just doesn't happen. Right. Right. So I have about eight kind of takeaways that I wrote down. You know, when I read the article. So how about if I just kind of go through my takeaways? And so I have eight. We'll just go one through eight. And you can comment as we go. And we'll try that and uh, see, see where we go. How about that? Sure. Sounds good. All right. Nope. And a lot of these are just kind of cut and paste right out of your article. So a lot of these uh, just came right out of the article. Number one, establishing a mite strategy requires an understanding of the dynamics of mite populations throughout the year, how they respond to treatments, and how they affect colony health. So I call this know thy enemy. <laughs> exactly. You got to know your enemy if you're going to fight it. That's right? right. And, and so there, there's a couple parts to this. First um, is, is, is the mite life cycle, right? So, so, you know, we know that there's, there's the phoretic stage or the dispersal stage or whatever the correct terminology for that is, uh, where the mites are on the adults and then they're reproducing in the cat brood in the cell. Well, you need to realize that those that are reproducing are basically not being exposed to any mite treatment that you're putting on the hive. Right. Um, and, and, and that's critical. If you want to do an oxalic acid treatment in the middle of summer, probably not a good idea. Right. right? Unless you do something to make them broodless. Um, I think, in, in, in concert with that is, is bee biology. I think, you know, people understand the annual cycle of the bees, sort of. I think something that's missed a lot is, is um, the winter bees and, and when are winter bees formed and how important winter bees are to colony survival, right? So, so even if, if a colony survives the winter but is, is really small, it'll never build up enough to, 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 to survive the next winter. Right. And, you know, there's a, I was really put on to this, the importance of this by, by talking to guys up in Canada uh, where, where they have long winters. And, and um, Alan Lloyd uh, first talked to me about it. He did some studies showing like winter bees in Manitoba are made in, in late August. All right, that's when they start and, and, and they go. And, and so I had a high school student 
do a, a study here in St. Louis and found, well, it's actually mid-September that, that they're made. And she reported that to a local bee club. And a guy raised his hand, well, what am I supposed to do with this information? <laughs> and, and I think that's where people make this disconnect. You need to understand that. So first off, from a mite perspective, if your winter bees, the bees that are probably most critical to survival, are being made mid-September to, say, mid-October, then that's got to be the healthiest time of your, your colony. Right. You don't want them being, being made when, when you know, they're, they're experiencing viral infections and PMS and, and what have you. And, and the other point is, is, is um, you know, from, from a feeding perspective of, of not shutting down your queen too soon. Mm-hmm. Make sure that she has the time to, to, to make those winter bees. Right. So when I'm talking to beekeepers about uh, this issue, basically, I want them to understand that they need healthy winter bees to get to the other side. And in order to have healthy winter bees, they have to have they have to have been raised by healthy nurse bees. So you really have to kind of back things up a couple of brood cycles and make sure that your varroa mites are under control and stay under control uh, to have those healthy nurse bees that are going to raise your healthy winter bees. And so it's really, there's a, there's a window for me, there's a window. I mean, at at least uh, from early August until October, where I really want to pay close attention, you know, to my mite loads. Really, I'm paying attention, uh, close attention to them all through the season. But if I want those healthy winter bees, I really got to, you know, make sure things are in control. Exactly. Yeah. There was a rhetorical question asked at at one of these meetings. When do you start preparing for for your honey crop? Right? mm Mm-hmm. Uh, these again were commercial beekeepers, and, and you know some people say it's spring, some people say it's the previous fall. Mm-hmm. It's really a long-term decision process that you're making to get your bees ready to do what they want to do. Right. So that brings me to my my second point, number two, my second takeaway: don't let mite levels get too high. You can never quite recover from high mite loads. So I see a lot of beekeepers that. They don't really pay, pay attention to mites until they get to August or September. And I say, look, you can't do that because if your mites get out of control, just getting rid of the mites doesn't fix your problem. There's this legacy of the viruses that hang on. You got to pay attention to mites all the time. Exactly. I, I think that's probably a key message here um, that, that, that we have to, Make people realize. Um, so, so I've heard mites being compared to AIDS. Mm-hmm. Nobody dies of AIDS. They they all die of the complications associated with the disease. Mm-hmm. And and that's really the same with mites. The mites aren't aren't outright killing the bees. They're making them susceptible to the disease and they're transmitting viruses. And so when you when you get a high mite load, you've basically made your colony sick. And just because you got rid of the mites doesn't mean that they're going to get over that sickness that they've occurred. Absolutely. All right. Number three, my third takeaway, treatment efficacy is optimal if mite loads are 2% or lower at beginning of treatment. 
Colonies treated at 2% lived 280 days. Colonies treated at 6% lived 130 days. Untreated colonies lived 85 days. This really highlights the need for excellent monitoring. Know where you are. Make good decisions. Yeah. So, so this was another one of those aha moments. You know, I, I asked the statisticians, hey, can you, can you parse this out based on starting mite loads? And, and the data came back and it's like perfect graphs. Like, Holy cow. <laughs> this is the data that supports the idea of the economic threshold that people talk about. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that, you know, right now it's, it's at, at, at three mites per hundred. You, things are going to start happening bad to your colony. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, again, I think it's the legacy of, of diseases and viruses that get, get caused by, by the, the, these higher, higher mite loads. Right. And, and, you know, I got some, you know, kind of an anecdotal story and I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what your experience was as, as a bee inspector. Mm -hmm. I have three inspectors, that, that I, I'm kind of close with um, that, that were inspectors in Florida, Pennsylvania, and Maine. And all three of them told me the, the, the same story that in the late 1990s, they would find colonies that had more mites than bees. <laughs> but the bees seemed healthy, right? It was just a lot of mites, not so many bees. And then right. in the early 2000s, they started seeing much more levels of mites causing all kinds of problems with the bees. And so then, you know, the economic threshold was five. Now it's three. It's like the mites are becoming more virulent. Right. But I wonder if it's the mites or the prevalence of disease. So certainly there's evidence that the mites are picking up viruses and the viruses are, 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 are being more virulent in, in, in the mites. But bees move a lot more than they used to. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so so you have to understand that commercial beekeepers manage three quarters of all the colonies in the U.S. And, and so where you used to have, I think, local outbreaks of disease, I think there's diseases are now more more global or mm -hmm. national throughout the entire country. So as bees get weakened, they're much more susceptible to, to, to getting a disease. Than, than, than they were in the past. And, right. and, and the mites are, are a big weakening agent. Yeah. My take on it is, so I've only been kind of in the beekeeping game for, I don't know, 12, 14 years. I've, I've been an inspector for about five years. So I didn't, you know, by the time I was a beekeeper, the thresholds were already down to, you know, 5%. Um, and they've fallen to three since then. And uh, so, but I do feel like the, the, it's the viruses that are continuing to get worse. I think, um, you know, so it really is important to, to stay after the mic. So there's no treatment for the virus. So what we have to do is make sure we take good care of the Varroa, not, not let those get out of control. Right. Yeah, which this kind of leads right into number four, my takeaway. Virus levels persist long after mite levels reduce. So you just can't let things get out of control. It's it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, it's true. And, and, and again, this is from experiences up in Canada. I was up at the uh, Manitoba Beekeepers Association. And Rob Curry, who's a, a professor in the University of Manitoba, gave a talk. 
And he showed, you know, this correlation of mite levels and, and virus levels. And then, you know, you treat for virus or you treat for the mites, mites go down, but the viruses are still there. Mm -hmm. And it can take you a year for, for, for a colony to cleanse itself. Right. And, and that's, it's just, again, something, I think the Canadian beekeepers really understood that as, as I talked to them. And you talk to the U.S. beekeepers, some get it and some don't. They mm -hmm. don't understand that, that there's really long-term damage associated with high mite loads. Yeah, I agree. I think we spend a lot of time talking about mites. I mean, I think we, need, we could spend more time talking about mites. But we really do need to be talking about this virus portion of it. Okay? And I think, I think there are, uh, there's a lot of room for some uh, kind of breakthrough discoveries on the virus side. I mean, I think we had a nice uh, kind of a breakthrough discovery, you know, with Do Dr. Ramsey on the, on the mite side in the last year or two. And I think there are some, uh, some more exciting breakthrough things, you know, coming in the next five years, I hope related to viruses that can help us understand that. I hope so. so yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, my fifth takeaway might affects vary by location, vary by location, and even by colony. What's happening in the next town over or even next door may not reflect what is happening in your bees. And even like when you say next door, I think when I'm looking at your figure five in the in the journal article, that means like the colony sitting right next to another colony on a pallet. <laughs> there yeah. could be a lot of variability on a pallet. Yeah, so so we saw variability in almost all aspects. Um, I mean, in biology, everything's a bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. You've got your average, and then you've got your outliers and stuff. But with bees, that bell curve is spread out <laughs> wide. And and this this was, you know, I gave you the example of how Apivar worked in that one yard, mm -hmm. and and then we had uh, I, I I showed another example where how fast mite populations recovered mm -hmm. after Apivar, mm -hmm. right? We went from like, like let's say one mite to, to, to eight mites per hundred at one location in, in, a, in a six week period, which is just horrible. Mm -hmm. And it, in another location, it went from that one mite to one mite and didn't move at all, which is right. exactly what you want to see. <laughs> And, and and there's no way to know what's going on. That wasn't consistent because the following year, that location that that, that skyrocketed was one of the healthiest of, of, of all of the, the yards. So mm -hmm. so it's not consistent to, to where they are. It's there, There's just weirdness going on. All right. I think and, it kind of underscores the importance of a lot of monitoring. And I think it's if you just try to scoot by um, – subsampling uh the yard uh it's easy to miss those outliers that are gonna uh bite you down the road and i know, you yeah. know monitoring takes a lot of work but man i've found that it really pays dividends talking about monitoring what was your method for monitoring did you do these um did you process the samples in the field or did they go to a central location tell me about your sample collection yeah. and, and processing so so uh, we had monitors for, for each of our locations that went out and, and took all of the data for us. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for mite samples, we were getting, we were, we were targeting about 300 bees. 
what we said was was the the first frame from the outside that that had open brood. Mm-hmm. That's where we took the bees from. Um, the, the the goal was to, to basically get nurse bees. Mm-hmm. Um, they they shook them into a, a, a plastic tub, mm-hmm. and then and then we had specimen bottles where they where they they scooped up the the right amount of bees. They shipped them to us and. And we do your typical mite washes. We we actually use a soapy water. We found that we didn't need to use ethanol. Mm-hmm. We've got some automatic shakers, so we shake them for like ten minutes, then pour them through a sieve, and and then we can and count how many how many mites there are. Mm-hmm. To determine how many bees are in the container, we did that by weight. Right. So before we did that, we 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 would take five samples, count a hundred bees, weigh how much that. 100 bees weighed and then got an average bee weight, right. you know, for, for that location. Yeah. Um, that's, and, that's kind of similar to what I'm doing. I have 30 colonies in my house and I monitor every colony about six times a year. So it's a fair amount of monitoring. And I've found that just collecting those uh, samples in the field, putting them in a, I just collect mine into Ziploc bags, throw them in the freezer, and then I'll process them in my kitchen uh, with a, uh, basically I'll do an alcohol shake and then dump them in the colander mm-hmm. and then wash them under the sink to, to kind of wash those mites off. And that has really uh, simplified uh, my monitoring. I can just collect those samples while I'm doing a regular old inspection, when I'm looking, you know, uh, make sure I'm queen right, what my stores look like. If I see the queen, I can uh, just uh, grab that sample and move on to the next colony. And uh, that's, uh, really been helpful uh, for me processing those uh, in, in my kitchen when I have air conditioning and music and it's comfortable. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it, it's important. It, it's hard. So, so, you know, the, the message being you have to monitor and you have to monitor a lot and often, but, you know, it's like how feasible is that? Mm-hmm. And, 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 but, you know, that, that figure five that you're talking about mm-hmm. kind of highlights sort of the importance of that because <laughs> what it was, so, so I know we can't show the figure on radio. Well, we could but, ask, you know, so if you're listening, you could hit pause, go get your December issue of uh, ABJ yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and look for figure five. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but so, so what this was, it was a, it was a yard that, that, um, up in Canada that was treated with formic acid in the fall. And that's a, that's a typical treatment schedule. They'll treat with apivar in the spring and formic acid in the fall and, and really have great mite controls. Um, and, and so it was a yard of, of 10 pallets, so 40 hives. Mm-hmm. And like, I can't remember the date exactly, but if you were to, to, to when you look at it, the average mite count for, for that yard was, was really low. It was like two mites per hundred. Right. And this was, this was right after, right after the, the honey came off. So it was mm-hmm. in August, late August. Right. And so you're thinking, ha, this yard looks really good. Mm-hmm. And, and then four weeks of, of formic acid treatment, they did two, two week treatments. And then you came back four weeks later and you look at the mite loads and it's like, holy cow, we've got, we've got colonies with 20, 30 mites per 100 bees. And, and 
what ended up happening is half of those colon half of the colonies, twenty of those colonies died over the winter. Mm-hmm. And and you wouldn't know that based on that one August assessment. It's like things look great. I know. So I want to talk about so I'm I'm looking at the figure right now and I'm looking at a pallet has four colonies on it. I'm just going to describe the infestation rate uh, around the colony. So colony number one at, in August had it was at 6%. So that's a little out of control. So that's a problem. Yeah, it's a little high. And number two is at 1%. That looks great. Number three is at 1%. That looks great. Number four is at 1%. That looks good. So we got one kind of problem child on the pallet. Uh, not a big deal. We come back four weeks later. We look at um, colony number one, it was at 6%. Now it's at 11%. That's a big problem. And this is after you've treated. We go to colony number two, it was at 1%. It's still at 1%. Hey, good good work. We go to colony number three, it was at 1%. Uh-oh, now we're at 21%. All right, so that's what, 63 mites in a 300B sample. That's... Uh, yeah. That's a death sentence. And colony number four, it was at 1%. Four weeks later, we're at 34%. 102 mites per 300 bees. Again, a death sentence. And then you look at what these, what that pallet looked like in the spring. So you had three that were definitely problem children. You had one colony that was looking good. Every colony on the pallet is kaput in April. Even the colony that didn't have too many mites in September. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I think, I think just as interesting, if you look at the pallet just below that, mm-hmm. the, numbers, the numbers in August were identical, right? Mm-hmm. But then four weeks later, those numbers didn't change at all. Right. Not it, so bad. It, it went... <laughs> Seven one one one, and then and all four of those survived. Right, with a four one two four one one two percent in in the spring. There's so, a so you know these are these are twenty feet apart. Right, <laughs> right, right. So uh, there's there's one more interesting uh, colony in the yard, kind of next door to these in April. So there's four four colonies on the pallet. Three of them are dead. There's one that's still alive, but it's at 29%. Now, that's always a head-scratcher for me. Like, you know, <laughs> why is this thing still kicking with uh, 30 mites on 100 bees? So, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and most likely a month later it wasn't alive. Right. So, right. so, so we had... We had relatively stringent conditions to call it dead, right? Uh, so, so to be dead, it had to be either hopelessly queenless or less than a frame of bees. Mm-hmm. So, so my guess is it had two frames of bees and and a queen, <laughs> and a queen, and that right. was about it. Right, right. right. So that that, um, uh, that is a good point. I was going to ask you, like, at what point did a colony did a colony get flushed out? I, I visit folks. Uh, like new beekeepers and they have laying workers, no queen. They have a handful of bees and a bunch of ugly drone brood. And I tell them that their colony is dead. And they're like, 
oh, but there's still bees here. I was like, yeah, that's right, but there's there's <laughs> not anything good. Nothing good is going to come of this. Like we need to we need to move on here. <laughs> so like determining you know, when a colony is dead, you know, sometimes that can be a a, a question, right? <laughs> it's also a real hard lesson, and and it's hard. It's sort of like pinching a queen, mm-hmm. right? It's really hard to pinch that queen because they're so precious. Right. (laughs) But, you know, um, guys that I know who are really good beekeepers and have, um, you know, very low losses annually, they don't mess with sick colonies. Right. They get them out of their their yards. Right. And and one guy told me, you know, I'll, I'll give them one shot to recover, mm-hmm. right? If they need a queen, I give it the queen. They need to be fed, I get them fed. If they don't recover after the one shot, I bring them back to the office and kill them. Right. And and it's a hard lesson, but you know, the message here is that it's these diseases that are actually killing your bees. So get them out of your yard. Right, right. Very good. All right, number, I think we're up to number six, and we may have already covered this, uh, Mite treatments don't always work, and one bad colony can spoil the whole yard. Monitoring before and after are critical. Uh, so I think we touched on this earlier. Just because you took yeah. action, that doesn't mean that you fixed the problem. And I tell beekeepers, you need to assume that the action that you took was not effective and have a plan B in your pocket and go back right. and do that post-treatment monitoring and then see if you need to implement plan B, you know, hopefully you don't, but you better be prepared. <laughs> so, you know, I can give you an example for this, uh, a personal example of, of some of the dopey things that Jim does. Um, <laughs> so, so we talked about, you know, really understanding the bees and mites and interactions to do this, 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 uh, to really have a good management system. Mm-hmm. And so, one of my beekeepers has this scheme uh, uh, to oxalic acid treat in the summer, mm-hmm. and I wanted to steal it. it, it, it it's beautiful, uh-huh. um, and and it, it, it's all about timing. And, you, and you're making a split. You're putting in queen cells so so that the bees are still working, but you're hitting them with oxalic acid while they're still broodless. So you're getting everything phoretic, but then everything continues. So it's yep. not like really halting the colony. Right. So I went ahead and it did this last year and you know, the bees are going nuts because normally when I have solid acid treat, I did it a week ago when, you know, they're not going to fly. They're right, clustered right. up and, and they're, they're broodless. <laughs> right. And, and the bees are flying all over and, and stuff. And, and a month later I went and, and, and tested and I had mites oh. and it just got me thinking, well, 20% of the foragers are out foraging at any given time, and here's where I'm treating them. Mm-hmm. I'm not hitting all the bees. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, you just, again, need to understand what you're doing, what the bees are doing, and how the treatments are impacting everything. Right. And they, so uh, I just, uh, people, I think people put too much um, faith in a treatment. So just because uh, the label says that it kills yeah. 98% of the mites, that doesn't mean that it's going to kill 98% of the mites every time. And especially if you don't read the label and apply it correctly, that's really going to impact, you know, your efficacy 
Uh, and I, I definitely see that folks not applying correctly. But even when you apply exactly as the label says, you do it exactly right, still, a lot of the times, yeah. it doesn't get you where you want to go. So let's just make sure folks understand that you got you got to know if what you did was effective. Right. right. So, all right. And this might actually be a time to, to bring up um, resistance management. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, a, a lot of people like to do the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to pass, that's like the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if you use the same active ingredient over and over again, so so whether it's it's going to be exotic acid or whether it's going to be, be Amitraz, Apivar, what have you, you're going to start getting resistance and and then you've lost that 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 tool in, in your toolbox so right. so again i think it's really important for people to to mix it up right amitraz in the summer oxalic acid in the winter or a fumigant in the spring and and what have you so that that you're really not giving the mites a chance to develop that resistance yeah so i tell folks you know so I see all the treatments work. I see all the treatments fail. And I think it's important for you to have experience with as many treatments as possible. They all have their time and place. There are times when you can use them and can't use them depending on the weather, what's going on in the apiary. And the more experience you have with all the different products, you know, the kind of the, uh, the deeper the bench, like right? you'll have more choices to, to, to pick from. And so having uh, some, some experience with those different products, I think is important. And just, you know, on that, on that level, and again, at your point of rotating your treatments to manage resistance is critical. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Number, so, go ahead. No, go ahead. All right. Number seven, a mite management program is critical to maintain healthy hives and the program needs to be tailored to your locale and to your bees and include frequent monitoring. So we have kind of a, I think a common thing coming up here. Frequent monitoring. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And, and, and you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that, that this statement is controversial in some circles. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's a, a group out there who, who, who wants to be treatment-free, mm -hmm. right? And, and I've got some data hot off the press, uh, you know, a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. That, that I haven't been able to share yet, but I got permission to share today. Okay. Um, a lot of people are, are, are told, you know, if you don't treat for mites, your, your hives are going to be dead in two to three years, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and you've, you've talked about people come back, my bees look great, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and next thing you know, they're dead. Right. Well, we just, we are almost done with a two-year trial up in Canada. And we had apivar, formic acid was was the, the treated control again because that's that's very common up in Canada. Mm -hmm. And we had an untreated control. And unfortunately, this was only at a single location. But but I think the data speak for themselves, and I, I hope we or someone else can repeat this just to show what really happens. Mm -hmm. For the first year and a half, the untreated control rocked. Mm -hmm. The whole first year, the average mite load did not go above four. We had incredibly good 
good uh, survival over winter, all right? But then came this summer. And, and so in early summer, so just to, to, I'll, I'll throw some numbers out there. Um, the, the treated colonies averaged 15 frames of bees. Mm-hmm. The untreated control averaged 20 frames of bees. Wow. Right? And, and, and the disease rates were about the same. Um, no signs of disease in the, in the treated. 93% had showed no signs of, of disease for the untreated colonies, mm-hmm. right? Looks really good. Mm-hmm. Then they crashed. So late summer, the frame numbers was, were 12 frames of bees for the, the treated colonies, mm-hmm. seven frames of bees for the untreated colony. So they went from 20 to seven frames of bees over the span of, of two months, 55% of those colonies showed signs of disease. Wow. And, and, and this is, when you're seeing the disease, you know it's bad, right? right? This right. is wing, this is PMS, this is, so, so I'm fully expecting in April when, we, when they go into them to, to, to look at, at overwinter survival that very few of the untreated controls are gonna be alive. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just, I, I want to be able to show people this data because it, it, you know, so many times you're looking at, oh yeah, my bees look good, my bees look good, my bees look good, but you don't see the storm coming. All right. <laughs> I definitely have folks that say, you know, um, I'll be asking them in August about how their management plan is going. Say, well, my bees look so good. I haven't monitored. They just look so good. It's like, well, I mean, yeah. that you're like what they look like today doesn't have anything to do with what they're going to look like in one, two or three months down the road. You really need to know what your, what your mite loads are. And so with the, with the treatment free folks, Hey, if you're a treatment free beekeeper and you're happy with your results, that's great. If, uh, but I really encourage everyone, whether you're treatment free or if, if you're, uh, not treatment free, doesn't matter to me how you roll as long as you're happy and that you're monitoring so you can see the impact of mites. I, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of treatment free beekeepers that are blaming an outside boogeyman when yeah. really it's it's the mites. But until they do the monitoring and see the mites, it's going to be a hard it's, it's hard to sell them on that. So I just really try to encourage folks to monitor so they can see what's going on. Yep, I, I agree. Yeah, so. let's see. Uh, and I, so, let's see. Let me just back up here a little bit. The program needs to be tailored to your locale and to your bees, and include frequent monitoring. And the other thing I s- tell folks is that it, it can't your your program can vary depending on how you see the world going around. So when people say, "Lewis, how often should I monitor?" Well, my question to them is, "How interested are you in bee health?" because that'll determine how often you need to monitor and how many colonies you need to monitor. If bee health is your number one priority, you need to be monitoring, I, I think, every four to six weeks during the season, every colony. If you're not interested in bee health and your interest is just making sure you don't put any chemicals in your colony, you can skip the monitoring. <laughs> but it really depends on... <laughs> yeah, give me, give me a call in the spring. Right, right. Well, I got- We'll oh, yeah. say some more bees. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, and 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 the tailor to your locale again. So so, we, this was one of the problems with the trials that 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 we learned is is that we would have a, a set mite treatment, right? We would do it in the spring, we do it in the fall, and 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 have assuming you know honey production in the summer and and overwintering. Well, the folks in Florida don't keep bees that way, mm-hmm. and 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 you know there is no break in, in brood in, in in parts of Florida, so they're making mites year round. So they have to treat so much more than, for example, the folks up north or in Canada who have really long winters mm-hmm. and 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 a relatively short bee season. So. Um, so yeah, I think the, the idea of tailoring it to your locale is also very important. Uh, yeah. All right. The my last takeaway number eight: when mite levels get out of control, the possibility of spreading mites is real, and miticide efficacy decreases. So we saw some of that uh, show up in Figure Five as those kind of mites spread around the yard. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think this is a take-home message, right? That 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 mites have long lasting impacts on bees and and there is evidence that they can spread um, i think there's maybe even some evidence that that the way we do mite counts don't always we work when we're doing a mite count we're looking at how many mites are on adult bees mm-hmm. that is not taken into any account how many mites are reproducing at that point in time right and that ratio is also important right because if if, if right you know when when you look at that data in canada where, where you went from one mite to 34 mites mm-hmm. right there's no way from a purely reproductive standpoint you can get that many mites in in, in four weeks unless you know, you had that rate of, 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 of 10 or 20 mites per 100 bees that are reproducing, or you're getting migration from adjacent colonies, right? Or some of both. And, and yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's probably some of both. Right. And, and, and knowing, that, knowing that, that treatments don't work all the time, you know, again, I talk to a lot of people who, who, who say, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty good at, at, at keeping my mites under control, but my neighbor doesn't, so I'm sure that their bees are, are mm-hmm. infesting my bees. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, our data showed that, you know, 5% of the time with Apovar, you know, that's one in 20 colonies, you're above 5% mites. Right, <laughs> so post-treatment. Your own bees can be those mite bombs that, that you're worried about. That's right. So. I definitely, when I looked at that uh, figure five and I saw that colony that went from one to 34 over the course of four weeks, I thought, man, I bet that colony had, um, I don't know, eight or nine frames of wall-to-wall cat brood on both sides at that initial um, um, sampling. And then four weeks later, a lot of that brood has emerged, hasn't been, you know, she was slowing down Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of mites, you know, on adult bees. I used to, I think we need to be thinking about things a little differently. It's hard to kill mites in a great big colony full of cat brood. That's a tough nut to crack. And I think when we're thinking about our management, our mite management uh, strategies, 
our mic management plans. We need to think, I think it can help if you, you know, work that break in the brood in there somewhere that can definitely help efficacy or if you have smaller colonies. Um, I, I definitely see, so people talk about uh, formic acid. Oh, you can use it when honey super's on. It's true, you can use it with honey supers on, but when you have honey supers on, generally that colony is pretty darn big, and yeah, and the, the bigger the colony, the less effective the treatment. So, um, I definitely want to caution folks there. But I think uh, a lot of beekeepers are bragging about how big the colony is, how many supers of honey they produced, and I'd like to see us start bragging about uh, instead of production. Uh, you know, we still need production, but maybe we could have a little less production, but a lot healthier colonies. So, no, you're 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 absolutely right. Those 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 big, huge colonies are, are mite producing machines. Yeah, and right? it's really tough to reel those things in, man. Yeah, and uh, so Brandon Hopkins um, at Washington State, he has he's done some work with 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 getting you know. Broodless cycles shows that that all treatments are are, are much more efficacious in, 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 when when the when the when the hives are broodless. Absolutely right. And, and and so again, if you can understand the bees well enough and your and your and and your management system well enough and to design get the brood cycle at the right time and put a treatment on with that, I think you're, you it helps. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's those are the eight takeaways that I got from the article, and um, I definitely encourage folks to to seek out this article and uh, soak it up. Uh, Jim, I really appreciate uh, the work that you did. You laid it out so well and so pretty that uh, I think it's a uh, I think it's a real benefit to uh, beekeepers everywhere. So I really appreciate your work, and if you want to add. Uh, Anything to our conversation before we wrap up? Uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I, I I appreciate you having me here. This is this has been fun. I, I hope I hope some people can can learn some things. I think there's a little bit for everybody. A little mm-hmm. little surprising tidbit for everybody uh, in, in in what we what we found. So good deal. Um, All right. Well, uh, I guess you're you're preparing for. Oh, let me, I just want to back up right quick to uh, like this figure five thing. You guys monitored in August, September, and then you didn't look at them again until April the next year. If I'm, if I'm on the team that's looking at designing or, you know, tweaking the study a little bit, I would like to add another monitoring in October and November to something like that. Oh, we had that. Yeah. So, so, so. In, in this case, we had, I think we, uh, I don't remember exactly, but say June, June July, because uh, there was that, that, that six-week um, mm-hmm. ape of our treatment. So, so, so when we started, it might even been May. Mm-hmm. So, so May, May June, um, I think we had one in July, and then August, October, and then you can't November in Alberta, right? Right. I, you know, even our October was was worrying about frost. Yeah. So um, it, it was just too cold. And then that that big turnaround was 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 their winter. Yeah. So so 
in the U.S., we we actually have a January assessment because most commercial guys are getting ready to go to Almond. Yep, yep. And and, and that's that's a key time for them. Yep. Is is how healthy do the bees look then? So. Yep. So I guess your work will continue uh, into 2020. More studies like this. Yeah, we've got uh, one going on through April, where we're going to be actually looking at split rates. Very good. Uh, to, to to see how 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 quickly the, the spring buildup is. All right. Well, I know that uh, bee research is a challenge. It's a it's a lot of work, and uh, so hats off to you and and your team for doing all that heavy lifting for our benefit. Uh, thank you again for for uh, hanging out with us today, Jim. Uh, I really appreciate. Uh, your time and effort and uh, come back and see us anytime. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Right. Keep up the, keep up the good work. I'll the message. All right. Take care, Jim. See you later. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That wraps up our discussion with Jim Masucci. I hope you listeners enjoyed that half as much as I did, because that was a, a real uh, pleasure for me. If you have any comments or concerns, uh, give me a holler. Leave me a message, 919-593-4823, and I'll do my best. Uh, we're off to the American Beekeeping Federation meeting in Schaumburg, Illinois next week. Uh, so I expect we'll be back with another episode in two or three weeks, and I hope to see you there. Take care. <laughs>